Welcome to We The Kids. Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today's Forgotten American Story will be, what can we learn from the pilgrims about how they learned gratitude? So if you remember in past shows, we talked about the pilgrim second Thanksgiving and the common store of which ways of providing for themselves and for each one in the colony and how they staved off the year and how so many of them were not able to live through it. So Lydia, tell us about the common store and the problem that the pilgrims had, please. Well, yeah, just to review what we learned in a previous show that the Mayflower pilgrims were brand new to this country and there were half of them. There were 102 that started out on the Mayflower and about 52 that survived that first winter in America. And one of the problems was they all were supposed to work plant crops, etc. And this was the year after they got here that spring. And then they would put whatever they earned, whatever they harvested into a common store or a common pot. I guess you could call it that only it was a lot more than we could put in a pot. And then the person that was in charge of governing them would be in charge of distributing it equally among everyone. But the result was everyone kept starving year after year after year for three winters, they kept starving. And the reason why, one of the reasons why is why work? when you can get the same amount of food as everyone else. So that's what started happening. Some people just weren't working or weren't working as hard as others. So with less people working, there was less food produced, which means there's less food to divide among themselves. So do you remember what they did to correct that, Arch? Well, I was going to ask you before I may jump in, Lydia, you know, that sounds good in the short term of putting everything in a common store and everybody taking out of there. But again, that sounds good in the short term. But how dangerous is that for the long term? Well, yeah, especially there's so many other factors. I mean, like I mentioned, it depends on who's governing that process, that redistribution of 
food process or <laughs> we want to make it to modern day redistribution of wealth who's in charge of that can we trust that person is that person going to take care as good care of us individually as we could take care of us and our own families individually if we got to do a different form of economy so you were saying lady that as time went on less people worked through this process which means there was less food produced which means there was less food to divide among the people Yep. And so that's one of the reasons why there just wasn't enough to go around when they divided it all out. So an interesting thing then was that third summer when Governor Bradford said, you know what, let's try something different. Let's give everyone their own little plot of land and they can do with that piece of land whatever they want. They can plant they can be loafers and just watch TV all day, even though they didn't have that. Um, you know, they could just do whatever they want. They're, they're, it's your stewardship. It's your responsibility. Plant corn. You can weed your corn. You can hoe your corn. Or you could, you know, not water your corn or whatever. And as a result, when the pilgrims knew this is their responsibility then, then all of a sudden there was like new life into the colony. And that's what we were talking about in one of the previous shows is that the shirkers in the other form of, you know, common store now became workers. Shirkers became workers. And now everyone's out there working because they know they're going to starve individually as families if they don't get their buns out there and start working. And so that's called free enterprise. So free enterprise is private ownership of property. So they each were given their own plot of land and free enterprise works because think about it, how much better do you treat your own property versus somebody else's or if you're just renting or something? So if you own it, you take better care of it and you make more profit. That is just human nature. It works with human nature. And then they were free to keep their corn and everything they harvested. Each individual family was able to keep their own profit, their own proceeds of their work, which was in this case produce, and keep it and then be able to do whatever they want with it, whether it's to trade it for other things from other people or to sell it or to store it. And so free market is you're free to keep your profits and transact with others. In essence, you keep what you earn, Others keep what they earn, and then you're free to buy whatever you need from others, and others are free to buy whatever they need from you. So it's a nice exchange. And so, Lydia, their motivation was to work so they would not starve, to work so that they would be able to feed themselves and feed their families to be able to survive. To survive. And then what was interesting, they did even more than survive. They actually prospered to the point where they had more than enough, where they could, for instance, trade with the Indians to get other items that they didn't have or whatever. And I was thinking something else, because oftentimes we, you and I both hear that so many people say, well, the free enterprise system or the free market system is basically selfish. And the pilgrims had that system, not because of selfishness, they had that system so they were able to survive. Yeah. Yep. To survive. That was the whole point. And they did survive. From that point on, they didn't have problems with starvation. And that's why- They had other challenges, but not starvation. So that's what I was going to ask you. How well did this system work for them, this free market, free enterprise system? Well, it worked awesome. In fact, isn't that what they practice forevermore? I mean, the colonists practice that and we should still be practicing that, you know? And this is the awesome thing about free market and free enterprise is then it's up to the people to help others out that are maybe hard on their luck, you know, maybe the widow, the orphan, those that are sick and afflicted. And that blesses the individual. When you are able to produce enough for not only yourself, but you have enough that where you can help others, 
that's awesome. And that's what made America, and we'll talk about this in, a, in another show, but that's what made America so prosperous. I, I think we're one of the top countries or the top country that has helped all other countries out in need who have been hard on their luck and have needed financial assistance or medical assistance or food for their countrymen. America has come to their aid because we've been able to prosper so much under this form of economy of free market and free enterprise. With their second Thanksgiving that you have talked about, was their second Thanksgiving a direct result of this new free market, free enterprise system? Yeah, it was a direct result of that. And there's another factor in there. If you remember from one of the previous shows, they had a drought. Once they started doing this free market, free enterprise system, their crops started growing. Things were booming in prosperity because of everyone pitching in and working hard and growing their food and et cetera. But then there was a drought for two months. It didn't rain at all. And it was very not like the East Coast to not have rain. And that's what I loved about the story of the second Thanksgiving is because they started, I think, now this is me reading between the lines. I think, you know, when you start seeing that you're becoming prosperous and maybe even a little bit well-to-do where you have enough, where it's not just living hand to mouth or making a penny stretch where you now have extra, they could have been getting maybe a little bit not thankful and not realizing from whom these blessings are coming from maybe even a little bit greedy or thinking, oh my gosh, with this extra corn, man, I'm going to be able to buy that boat that I've always wanted or, you know, <laughs> or flat screen TV or, or whatever. Um, and so they had to start looking inwardly because when they started realizing their crops are now failing because they haven't had water for two whole months, then they started looking inwardly and looking upwardly as well to a divine power, to God, and started searching their souls and making sure they are right with God. And it's documented. Edward Winslow, he was a separatist who traveled on the Mayflower in 1620. He's one of the several senior leaders on the ship. And he also was a leader at Plymouth Colony. And he's one of the signers of the Mayflower Compact. This is what he wrote. He said, but oh, the mercy of our God, who was as ready to hear as we were to ask. Before I finish with this quote, they started fasting and praying to God, please help us. We're going to starve again if we don't have rain. And then he continues. He says, for though in the morning when we assembled together, the heavens were as clear and the drought as light to continue as it ever was. Yet before our departure, the weather was overcast. The clouds gathered on all sides. On the next morning, distilled such a soft, sweet, and moderate showers of rain, continuing some 14 days and mixed with such seasonable weather as it was hard to say whether our withered corn or drooping affections were most quick or revived. Such was the bounty and goodness of our God. So to them, they recorded that they had a miracle. They started praying to God and praying for rain and maybe correcting some of their attitudes or <laughs> whatnot to get good with God. And he did send them rain and they had an abundant harvest. And that's what also helped them celebrate a second Thanksgiving. And Lydia, today we're ready to celebrate what year anniversary of the Mayflower Pilgrims? 400th anniversary. Oh my goodness. If someone lived to be 400 years old, do you think we'd be celebrating that? And it would be broadcast all over America, you know, hey, so it's already 400 years. Well, Lydia, do um, you and I know somebody that's 400 years old? You. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Kate. You know, okay. But if I'm 400, I don't remember back to the Mayflower Pilgrims. So I'm a well, maybe dementia has maybe something to do with that. Years old. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be celebrating the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Pilgrims landing in America on November 11th of this year. Because yes. on November 11th, 1620 is when they arrived. Well, we started talking, Lydia, at first about gratitude and the Pilgrims' gratitude. 
and all the hardships that they went through and the cold and the extreme cold and the coming over here and so many of them died and the persecution from people on the Mayflower. Where do you get the idea that they had or they demonstrated this gratitude? Again, in a previous show, I actually own an 1898 copy of his journal. The first printing of William Bradford or Governor Bradford, he was the second governor of Plymouth Plantation of the Mayflower Pilgrims. I found it in his, well, we call it journal, but he didn't really document the journey from the Netherlands to America and then the establishment of the colony till after they were pretty established. Because you can imagine it was all they could do to just survive, you know, find firewood, build a fort, build homes, plant food, make food, find food, hunt for food. So I found it in his account. Well, we call it journal, but in his account later of um, what they experienced and what they endured. So... 1898, folks, that's an old book. I keep it in bubble wrap. Someone said I probably should do something different to preserve that book than put it in bubble wrap on my bookshelf, but that's where it is. Lydia, how many of the pilgrims were really sick and or how many of them from the original Mayflower died relatively quickly or soon on the Mayflower or after they landed up in New England? Well, from what I understand, over half died that first year. They suffered from scurvy. That's a vitamin C deficiency from what I remember. You know, fever, chills, hacking costs from chest infections like tuberculosis and pneumonia. And after they landed, it was those first two months, that's where most at some time, uh, two or three pilgrims a day were dying the first two months after landing here in America. And at one point, there were only six or seven pilgrims left to take care of all the others, you know, about 50 other pilgrims that were too sick to take care of themselves. And even the governor, Governor John Carver, he was the first governor, was taken ill. And so was William Bradford, who took Governor Carver's place as governor when Governor Carver died. So that was huge. They had pneumonia and tuberculosis and pneumonia was a big thing that took many of their lives. So they had a choice, you know, who's going to take care of the others? I was going to ask you, what was their attitude towards those who were sick or getting sick? And remember that they knew that most of them that got really sick probably were not going to survive. Yeah, they were contagious, you know. Yeah, yeah. You have a choice here of taking care of others that you don't know if you're going to get their illness, if it's contagious or not, or just let them suffer. But here's a quote from William Bradford from his journal, which I have. This is his grammar. This is his English. I'm reading it just the way he wrote it. He says, quote, there was but six or seven sound persons who, to their great commendations, be it spoken, spared no pains, night nor day, but with abundance of toil and hazard of their own health, fetched them wood, meaning they're getting wood to take care of the sick people. Fetched them wood, made them fires, dressed them meat, made their beds, washed their loathsome clothes, clothed and unclothed them. In a work did all the homely and necessary offices for them, which dainty and queasy stomachs cannot endure to hear named, and all this willingly and cheerfully, without any grudging in the least, shewing herein their true love unto their friends and brethren, a rare example and worthy to be remembered. That's William Bradford's own words. Wow. Oh. And so after that first winter, were there more that came over from Europe to join this colony? Yeah, that's what is amazing is 
once those first three winters are over and they survived starvation and now they've got their own plots of land, they're planting it, they're working it, they have an abundance, the rains come. Guess what? We've got the ship Fortune arrived and that ship brought 35 more colonists and none of them brought extra food, clothing, blankets, or other supplies for them to subsist. So now the pilgrims have another choice. Okay, what are we going to do about these 35 people that are here? Because look, we did all the work. This is our food. These people ate all theirs. You know, we didn't bring enough or whatever. Are we going to share what we have reaped and stored for ourselves or not share at all? Or if we do share, we're going to be grumbling about it. So that's what's amazing from the account that William Bradford documented is he said that they chose to share willingly. And this is what he wrote. He said, I'm quoting, so they were presently put to half allowance, one as well as another, which began to be hard, but they bore it patiently under hope of supply. So they kept hoping that more ships from England would come to bring supplies. And at one point, they were cut down to just a quarter of a pound of bread per person every day until their crops were ready to harvest. So I don't know, how much does a loaf of bread weigh? I know, uh, not very much. Yeah, so just a quarter of a pound per day. And especially if you're working, you know, you're probably burning that off really fast. So they were getting weaker and weaker. How many winters, Lydia, did the Puritans survive that coastal wilderness before the colony really became solidified and growing and prosperous? Well, from what I got from William Bradford's account, it was they survived their third winter living there in that weakened condition until they did find a fishing boat from somewhere. A lot of countries, especially England, maybe they didn't settle in the northern part of America, but they had fishing boats that would go there and fish and then bring the fish back to England or wherever. And so they did find a fishing boat that did help them with some food while they were waiting for their crops to come in. But when they came in, it was a bounteous harvest. And yay, they were able to survive. So it'd be three winners total. They had to endure that, which to me, you know, they did have a choice to go back to England, just give up, you know, scrap it. But they didn't. So with this free market, free enterprise system and this attitude of which you shared with the listeners of gratitude, what other snippets can we learn from the Puritans as far as their life and their lifestyle and their dependence upon God? Well, I love how these hard circumstances really tested and exposed their true character. I mean, when you're starving and then you're working hard and you have a chance to see your crop grow in and it's coming nice and full and healthy, and then there's drought, and then you pray to God, crops revive, and then a ship comes in bringing all these hungry mouths to feed. <laughs> you know, that's a test. And how many tests do we go through as human beings? And how do we respond, especially when things might look unjust or not fair? But I love how they, they chose to have gratitude for what they had and demonstrated, it's a term called public virtue, and I love that, that says, in, in essence, they will reach out to others if it's no fault of someone else's. And maybe if it was someone else's fault, they still had compassion on that person Mm. and extended their kindness to them and shared what they had. And one of the quotes too, you know, there was a difference between how the pilgrims treated each other and how the crew of the Mayflower treated each other when they were all sick. So William Bradford recorded a quote that is just to me phenomenal. It shows the difference between how the crew treated each other and how the pilgrims treated each other. He says, the disease began to fall amongst them, meaning the crew also. So as almost half of 
of their company died before they went away. They began now to desert one another in this calamity, saying they would not hazard their lives for them. They should be infected by coming to help them in their cabins. And so, after they came to die by it, would do little or nothing for them. But if they died, let them die. But such of the passengers, meaning the pilgrims, as were yet aboard the Mayflower, shewed them, meaning the crew, what mercy they could, which made some of their hearts relent, as the boatswain and some others, who was a proud young man, and would often curse and scoff at the passengers. But when he grew weak, they had compassion on him and helped him. Then he confessed he did not deserve it at their hands. He had abused them in word and deed. Oh, saith he, you I now see, Shew your love like Christians indeed one to another, but we let one another lie down and die like dogs. So we learn in the pilgrims this free enterprise system, this free market system, and their heart of gratitude towards God for what they were able to survive and then begin to plenish as a colony. And now we're celebrating the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower pilgrims. So we want to thank you for that. And we invite everyone that's from 8 to 108 to continue to listen to We the Kids. And something that we would like you to ponder is even when the pilgrims had very little, they chose to show gratitude for what they had. The Mayflower pilgrims' gratitude affected their attitude. Their attitude of gratitude affected their ability to survive even when the circumstances were very hard and beyond challenging. How will we choose to react to our difficult and challenging circumstances? Good question. Good luck with that, Arch. (laughs) So, hey, we want to make sure that you know that over 35 million people can trace their ancestors back to one of these Mayflower pilgrims, and you might be one of their descendants. You can purchase Forgotten American Stories Celebrating America's Constitution on the wethekids.us website. Thank you so much for supporting We the Kids. We now invite you to see what the We the Kids Liberty Players are up to. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. years old and I live in New Hampshire. And I'm Sammy. I'm almost 10 and I live in Idaho. And I'm Karsten. I'm 11 and live in Indiana. We're the We The Kids Liberty Players. Earlier, we made a gratitude list of the top three things we are grateful for and why. I bet you're all curious to see what we came up with. I know I'm interested to hear what you put on your list, Ryan and Karsten. I'm also wondering if there is anything on your list that I also have on my list. There's only one way to find out. Let's start. Ladies first. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, the first thing I put on my list is family. Why did you choose family as first thing on your gratitude list? I chose family first because they make me happy and encourage me to do hard things. What is the first thing on your gratitude list, Ryan, and why did you choose it? The inventors, because if they were not around, we'd still be living in caves without fire. 
What's the first thing on your gratitude list, Karsten? I chose my father. Why did you choose your father? I chose my father because he's always encouraging me to do good things, and he loves me very much, and I love him very much. That's a great thing to be grateful for. Ready to hear the second thing on my gratitude list, Ryan and Karsten? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready, too. Second, I choose the scriptures because they help me learn new things and my faith grows. Nice. What's the second thing on your gratitude list, Karsten, and why did you choose it? The second thing on my gratitude list is my guitar. And the reason why it's on my gratitude list is because I like the way it sounds and it makes me feel happy. Thanks for sharing what you guys are grateful for. What did you write down for your number two on your gratitude list and why, Ryan? The trees and plants, because they give us oxygen. Oh, that makes sense. So what did you two write down on your gratitude list for three? Well, we should probably explain that for our individual gratitude lists, we were asked to write down something for number three that had a different twist. We were each asked to write down a hard or difficult thing we experienced in our lives and why we were grateful for that experience. It reminded me of the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. It is a true story about Corey and her sister Betsy, who were taken from their home in September 1944 and forced to live in Ravensbrück, a concentration camp in Germany during the time of Adolf Hitler's orders to exterminate the Jewish people. The building Corey and Betsy and many other women were forced to live in was infested with fleas. But Corey and Betsy chose to be grateful for the fleas because they realized that the Nazi soldiers and guards who imprisoned them did not come into their building to beat them and rape them like they did to the women living in other buildings at Ravensbrück. Wow, did that all really happen? Yes, Karsten, it really did happen. I've learned that this is one of the reasons why we should all be thankful in America for our U.S. Constitution, which prevents someone from taking all the power over the people, executive, legislative, and judicial, just like Hitler and many others have done in history, which have resulted in deaths of millions of innocent men, women, and even children like us. What's executive, judicial, and legislative? What was that word? Legislative. Our U.S. Constitution, the supreme law of our land, divides the power between different groups of people whom we the people get to choose or elect to represent us to make our laws. Which is our legislative branch of government or Congress. And to judge our laws according to the U.S. Constitution. Which is our judicial branch of government or the Supreme Court. To execute our laws according to the U.S. Constitution which is our executive branch of government. Which is the president of the United States of America. I remember this from school. When these different branches of the power over the people, the power to govern we the people, are divided out among the people we elect to represent us, then it is less likely for a person or group of people to take away our individual unalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuits of happiness, no matter who we are, where we live, or what we choose to believe. That's definitely something we should all write down on our gratitude list. For sure. So, Karsten, what did you write down on your gratitude list for number three? What hard thing have you experienced that you are grateful for? I hope it's not for fleas. <laughs> no. Thankfully, I don't live in a building with fleas like Corey and Betsy had to. I wrote down that I am thankful for the event that me and my cousin got separated as my third. And here's why. When we got back together and in contact, we were having so much fun with this reunion. Here's the hard thing I experienced and wrote down as number three on my gratitude list. I had to finish my cooking merit badge, which is a hard one, and is really involved. 
I didn't want to do it, but I did. Now I'm grateful. Thanks, Ryan and Karsten. The hard thing I experienced in my life that I'm grateful for is being a military brat. Why? Because I move often. I have lived in Utah, Germany, England, and Idaho. I will be sad to leave my family and friends this summer, but I will meet new friends and explore new places. This makes it so I have friends all over the world, and I'll explore new places, which helps history come alive. I'm glad to support my dad in the military. Wow, we sure have shared a lot of things to be grateful for. It's amazing how I've learned that I can have gratitude for even hard times in my life. Yeah, me too. It just depends on us choosing to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm glad we all got to write down the top three things we were grateful for. I've learned a lot. We have too. What are the top three things on your gratitude list, America? From us to you, thank you for joining us on We Those Kids Radio Show.